If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth in the Old Testament should be towards the front. This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through this book where the theme of Ruth is redeeming love. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. As we started last week in chapter 1, we were introduced to a family, the family of Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Chilion. This was a family that lived in Bethlehem, and we learned that at the time that they were in Bethlehem, a severe famine came across Bethlehem, and this family was left in great need. And so Elimelech decided to take his family and move to the pagan land of Moab, a land that was known as an enemy of the Israelites, a land that was known for their sexual immorality, a land that was known for being against Jehovah God in every way possible. Yet this man from Bethlehem of Judah picks up his family, takes them to Moab, and we find that as he is in Moab, the father, Elimelech, dies. And then not long after he dies, Malon and Chilion, the two sons, begin to grow in age and they take wives of the Moabite woman. They take Orpah and Ruth. And not long after they marry Orpah and Ruth, Malon and Chilion also die. And so now we have Naomi, the mother, who is left with, Orth, with Orpah and Ruth, the two Moabite women, widowed and childless. In chapter 1, after tragedy upon tragedy strikes her family, Naomi hears that God has returned to the land of Bethlehem and was again blessing his people. And while, re- while Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem, Orpah goes back to her mother and father in Moab, but Ruth tells Naomi, I'm going with you. Naomi tells, or Ruth tells Naomi, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. So as we ended chapter one, we see Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. And as we then step into the doorway of chapter two, we enter a new land at harvest time. Bethlehem is beaming with fullness and with crops and an abundance after a long period of famine. The barley harvest had just begun. If you look at the end of chapter 1, it says that it was the season of the barley harvest, and everybody's bellies were beginning to fill up. But Naomi and Ruth's bellies were still grumbling. You can imagine as they sat there in Bethlehem, they were questioning their decision. Did God hear us? Is God going to care for us? Does God even care about the situation and the circumstances we have been put in. One would think that by their circumstances that he didn't. And maybe some of us here this morning can sympathize with the pain and suffering of Ruth and Naomi, where it seems as if for every one step forward, you take three steps back, where life seems to constantly knock you down, and around every corner there seems to be grief and anguish. Like Naomi, at the end of chapter one, you feel as if you've been dealt with bitterly. You're empty, and it's hard for you to see how things could ever get better. 
Listen, if that's you here this morning, I want to tell you that this message of Ruth chapter 2 is for you. And if that's not you here this morning, if you say, you know, I'm not really in a season of suffering, I want to tell you that this message is for you as well because nobody is immune to suffering. Listen, we all at one point or another will come to a season in our life where it seems as if all hope is lost. And what I want to do this morning through the teaching of God's word is remind God's children that despite your suffering, you can have confidence in knowing that God is working all things out for your good. Ruth chapter 2 is the manifestation of Romans 8.28 in the lives of God's people. Romans 8.28 tells us that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I want us to read verse 10 through verse 13 together. In verse 10, the Bible says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been showed me all that Thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of your nativity, and are come to a people which you know not heretofore. The Lord recompense, the Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Let us pray. All right. Verse 13, then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. Let us pray and then we will jump into our message. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I again just thank you for this morning, this day. I thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we walk through Ruth chapter 2, that you would encourage us, that you would help us, that you would mend broken hearts and help us to see the goodness of God. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would be big. Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would be honored, you would be glorified. Lord, I pray you would give me clarity of speech, that you would remove all distractions from the room, and that you would help us to leave here this morning encouraged and changed. Christ name I pray. Amen. As chapter one of Ruth ends, full of tragedy and anguish, the author of Ruth immediately in chapter two gives us a glimmer of hope. In verse one, he says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. In verse one, we're told that not only is there a wealthy influential man in Bethlehem. I'm sure there were plenty of wealthy, influential men in Bethlehem, but this particular wealthy, influential man, this man, Boaz, is a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. The author of Ruth begins in chapter 1 to foreshadow the redemption story that will come alive as Boaz is presented to us almost as a knight in shining armor ready to save the damsel in distress. Verse 2, it says, So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight 
I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. One night as Ruth and Naomi sat around an empty dinner table, Ruth tells Naomi to allow me to go and glean behind the reapers. A reaper is a person who harvests crops, that would have worked the field and harvested the crops that were there. And to glean was the practice of going into a field that had been recently harvested, and the gleaner would then pick up all of the leftover crops and grains, the barley that was on the ground. No doubt as Ruth traveled from Moab to Bethlehem with Naomi, Naomi told Ruth all about this law of the gleaner. She told Naomi all about how God had set up a system in Bethlehem to care for those who were widowed, to care for those who were helpless. In Leviticus 19, God commanded the farmers in Israel that as they harvested their fields, that they should cut corners. In other words, they shouldn't harvest all of it, but they should leave some of the crop behind. He also told them that if they were harvesting and they had their crop on the wagon and some of it just seemed to fall off the wagon, to leave it there on the ground so that the poor and the needy could come behind and glean whatever was left on the ground for themselves. So Ruth sets out to pick up the leftover grain in the fields to feed her and Naomi. The rest of verse 3 then says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. In the rest of verse 3, we see that Ruth, this Moabite woman from a foreign land, sets out in an unknown, unknown land to glean in an unknown field, and it just so happens that she comes to the part of the field belonging to to Boaz. Look at verse 4 through 7 with me. It says, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Ruth and Naomi returned from Moab to Bethlehem, desperate, empty, helpless. Yet by the providence of God, this widowed Moabite girl just so happens to work the field of a wealthy, influential family member who just so happens to be in the field watching that day while she's working and just so happens to be a godly and a righteous man as we see in verse 4 the interaction between him and his servants. Can I tell you this morning that nothing in life just so happens? That there's no such thing as coincidences that every single aspect and part of your journey has never occurred by chance? but rather that God Almighty and his sovereign wisdom and power has providentially directed every step and every decision of your life. So the providence of God is how God orchestrates everything 
to accomplish his purposes. Everything that happens in life happens according to God's will. We'd all do good to trace the just-so-happened moments of our own life and see how the hand of God directed each and every detail to bring us to where we are today. You know, I think even as I look back at my own life and even just the last seven to eight years, listen, if I stood here and told you about all that God has done and what he's brought me from and brought me through to bring me here, I'd be here all afternoon. Listen, but from taking me to Jacksonville to marrying my wife to building relationships there in ministry with different people and then bringing a kid who said he'd never come back to Ohio back to Dayton to stand in front of you this morning and preach the Bible. It was nothing but God. Can I tell you that my journey hasn't been perfect? You know, there's been highs. There's been a lot of glorious memories and a lot of great times over the last few years. But there's been even more lows. There's been times of extreme confusion, times of heartache, and times where I'm just wrestling. I don't understand, God, what are you doing in my life? God, why are you allowing that to happen to me? But through it all, I know without a doubt that every obstacle, that every relationship, that every experience was purposed by God to bring me here this morning. The providence of God reminds us that because God knows exactly what you'll need, exactly when you need it, he is able to orchestrate the paths of our lives in order to accomplish his purposes. While we are not puppets on a string, we can all look back on our lives and see times when God has divinely intervened and direct our path at times when in the moment we weren't even aware of it. It reminds us that while we are so busy being worried about the now, God is already working in the not yet. That there is a purpose and a plan for every single step of our life. Listen, friend, that no matter your circumstances, that we can trust that God is in charge. That we can trust that he will accomplish his will in our life and in his time. In verses 1 through 7 of Ruth chapter 2, we see the providence of God. And then in verses 8 through 18, we see the provision of God. After taking notice of Ruth working in his field and inquiring with his servants, who is this girl? He approaches, Boaz approaches Ruth. Look at verse 8 and verse 8 says, then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So in verse 2, Ruth talks to Naomi and she says, let me go out that I may find favor in somebody's eyes. In verse 8 and verse 9, we see that that is exactly 
what has happened. Ruth has found favor in the eyes of Boaz. Not only does Boaz allow Ruth to glean behind his servants, but he tells her, stay here. He says, listen, don't go anywhere else. Don't, don't worry about going into another unknown field, but stay with my servants and glean among them. Look at the favor that Boaz gives to Ruth. Not only does he give her provision, not only does he say that as long as you stay here, you'll be cared for, but he tells her you will also be protected. He says, listen, I've told the young men, don't touch you. Boaz knows the dangers of being a young single woman, not much different than we have here today during those days for especially a foreign Moabite woman to work alone in a field by herself would have been dangerous. You know, the men may not only harass her verbally, but they could also physically harass her. And Boaz says, listen, as long as you're in my field, you don't got to worry about that. Yet as we see the generousness of Boaz, may we not fail to acknowledge the source of Ruth's blessings. Yes, Boaz was a great man. Boaz was a godly man. Boaz was a wealthy man, but ultimately Boaz was a man who was used by God. Can I remind you this morning that God blesses his people in order that we can bless others, that we can care for and help the least of these. You know, we find it easy to be kind to other people when we think that there's going to be some dividends or some payback on our kindness. Yet true kindness is shown and we extend ourselves to others who, as far as we can see, can't offer anything in return. Let me say that again. True kindness is shown when we extend ourselves to others who, as far as we can see, cannot offer anything in return. Listen, Boaz wasn't stingy. I mean, I can imagine Bethlehem just came out of famine, right? Boaz could have easily said, you know, I really can't be sharing any of my crops. You know, who, who knows? We may go right back into famine. He could have been greedy and said, I need to store extra just in case. But rather, Boaz uses his blessing to bless others. So Boaz tells Ruth, you don't have to worry anymore, Ruth. I will make sure that you are cared for. And confused, yet grateful, Ruth looks at him and says, why? Why are you showing favor on a foreigner like me, a woman who has no relation to you as far as she knows, a woman who is from the pagan land of Moab? Why, Boaz? Why? You have no obligation to care for me. If you look at verse 11, it says, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Ruth says, Why have you shown me favor? And Boaz says, Ruth, I know who you are. He says, I've heard all about your loyalty to Naomi. And as Boaz begins to respond, it almost seems as if she is experiencing the grace and kindness of Boaz because she has shown kindness to her mother-in-law. 
But I want us to see something very important in what Boaz says to her. In verse 12, Boaz then continues. He blesses her and says, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have came for refuge. The picture that Boaz is giving us is of God as a great winged eagle and as Ruth as a little eaglet that has come to find safety under the great eagle's wings. Boaz tells Ruth, because you've trusted God, he is the one who is showing you kindness. He says, he's the one that is blessing you. Boaz says, Ruth, God is the one that brought you to my field to begin with. Understand that in coming to Bethlehem, Ruth forsook her mother and father. She forsook her home place of Moab and the gods that were there in Moab because she believed that the God of Israel could care for her far better than any of them could. Psalm 57.1, the writer says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in thee my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge. Be merciful to me, for in thee my soul takes refuge. Why should God show mercy to Ruth? Because she has sought refuge under his wings. She has counted his protection better than all others. Listen, this picture that is given to us in verse 12 is the message of the Bible as a whole, that God would have mercy on anyone who humbles himself and goes under his wing for refuge. While we should thank the ones who offer us a hand in tough and perilous times, we should be praising the one for whom all blessings flow. You know what's interesting? It's like when things are going bad and nothing seems to be right, it seems that we're so quick to look at God. You know, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? God, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you, why aren't you providing for me? Yet, so often when things turn around and go in our, way, go in our favor and things get good, we're so slow and so often fail to attribute the good things and blessings in our life to God. James teaches us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So don't forget the source of your blessing. Boaz was the means. Yes, God used Boaz, but ultimately God was the source. Boaz invites, and he tells Ruth, as long as you remain in my field, you will be cared for. Even greater than the protection of a righteous farmer is the protection of a holy God. In the midst of suffering and trials, we can be encouraged in knowing that we have a God who cares for we have a God who loves, a God who provides for his children. And as you continue through this story, through verse 18, we find that not only does Boaz help Ruth, 
but Boaz blesses Ruth beyond measure. After their interaction, Boaz invites Ruth to eat with him and his servants at mealtime. He says, come over and grab some bread. And Ruth eats until her belly is full. And then when she's done eating, he gives her a little baggie, a little dog box. And she puts her leftovers in this box. He then tells the young men that are working his field to allow Ruth to glean from the sheaves. A sheave was a bundle of grain that would have already been tied together. And so Boaz tells his servants, listen, if she comes by and she wants to pick up a whole entire bundle, then let her. But not only that, he tells his servants, listen, as you are harvesting the barley crop, I want you to drop some on purpose. But don't let her see, you know, let her pick it up, but just drop some so that there is an abundance for her. Could you imagine the joy and the excitement on Ruth's face and just her demeanor as she's out there in the field and there's, there's barley everywhere for her to pick up and grab? You know, it was like she had hit the lottery. Verse 17 says that by day's end that Ruth had gleaned an ephah of barley. What that is is nearly 30 pounds of grain. Now understand that in a normal day's work, a male worker would bring home one to two pounds of grain. And here, Ruth the Moabitess, the widowed, helpless woman who has sought shelter under God's wings, is leaving the field with 30 pounds. So Ruth set out to pick up leftovers. And she came home experiencing the truth of Ephesians 3.20, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You know, let this be a reminder to you this morning that God is faithful to the faithful. God is faithful to the faithful. While God is working in the not yet, while God is working out the details and the plans of your life, all that we have to do is remain faithful in the now. Every step of the way, Ruth had no idea what the next day would entail. She had no idea even stepping out and going to that field what her day would go like, but she trusted God for the day. And because of her faithfulness and her devotion, God met all of not only hers, but Naomi's needs as well. And we know that all things work together for those who love God. In the backdrop of dark and dreary times, in the backdrop of suffering and pain and loss, we begin to see the sovereign hand of God work all things together for Ruth and Naomi. And as you close out chapter 2, you begin to see that the providential provision of God leads to celebration. After an amazing day in the field of favor, Ruth returns home to Naomi. Can you imagine the change in Ruth's disposition? I could imagine as she left the house that morning, she was probably a little discouraged. They had went to bed hungry the night before. She is worrying about how her day is going to go. She has no idea if she'll be cared for. She's probably walking to the field with her head hung low. But as she comes back home, she's in a rush, and she's running back home to Naomi. And as she opens the door, and she has a 
a whole entire bushel of barley in one hand and a to-go bag in the other hand and a smile from ear to ear. And I could assume a scream of excitement. Naomi probably looks at her and is surprised and confused. And it says that Naomi, well, it says that Naomi begins to play 21 questions with her. Naomi says, what happened? She says, where did you go? How do you have so much grain? And Ruth looks at her and says, you know, I was just working in a field. I was trying to get barley for us for the day. And a man approached me and blessed me and showed me extreme favor. And no doubt Naomi looks at her and says, whose field were you in? And Ruth looks at her and says, his name was Boaz. And at that moment, Naomi's jaw drops and her eyes get big as she begins to praise the Lord. Listen, while Ruth had no idea who Boaz was, and Naomi had probably forgot about Boaz and hadn't heard his name in a long time, at that moment, all the emptiness of life all the bitterness she felt that she had been dealt, all of the pain of her circumstances began to disappear. As Ruth, or as Naomi tells Ruth, this man is one of our close relatives. This word close relatives translates in the Hebrew to the word goel, and what this also translates to is kinsman redeemer. Here at the end of chapter 2 is where we are introduced to this idea of the kinsman redeemer, which will play out among the rest of the book of Ruth. It's a marvelous, a grace-filled theme. As a kinsman redeemer, according to Jewish law, had the right to buy back a family member who was sold into slavery. They had the right to buy back land which was sold under economic hardship, and they had the right to the family name of the dead by marrying the widow. In grace, God had raised up a person who could solve the problems and resolve the difficulties that Naomi and Ruth face. In grace, God had blessed and God was moving. So Naomi and Ruth celebrate. Chapter 1 ends with Naomi saying, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She says, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? But at the end of chapter 2, Naomi says, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Listen, Naomi had gone from bitter to better. Though Naomi didn't understand the circumstances of her life, though she felt as if the Lord was far from her, the whole time God was providentially working on her behalf. I suffice, I, I suffice to say that like Naomi and Ruth, when you begin to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own, understanding that a restorative work of hope and of joy will take place in your life as well. So the ultimate 
restorative work that is done in our lives today is only possible because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So if Jesus never came to earth, if Jesus never lived a perfect and holy life, if Jesus never died a criminal's death, if Jesus never rose from the grave three days later, proving that he was the Son of God and conquering death, hell, and the grave, humanity would be in a perpetual state of emptiness. We would be forever lost. We would be forever without hope. But in Romans 5a, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So because of our sins, we are eternally separated from God and condemned to hell, but because of the cross, we are offered forgiveness, hope, and life eternal. Can I encourage you this morning that no matter your circumstances, no matter your place or your season in life, if you have been forgiven and saved by Christ, there's always something to celebrate. Like Ruth, when we find ourselves in the field of favor and look at all that God has done for us, how he's provided time after time again, how he's been good to us, it should cause us to bow and worship. So we didn't do anything to deserve God's goodness. We didn't do anything to receive his grace. We had nothing to offer him, yet he's lavished on us his goodness and his mercy out of love for us. It was his love that put him on a cross. It was his love that causes him to pour out his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his kindness. It's in the field of favor of Ruth's life, the field of favor of our life is both motivated by God's love. The message of Ruth chapter 2 is simple. Trust in God, believing that he will work all things out for good. Only God has the power to turn graves into gardens, mourning to dancing, beauty to ashes, shame into glory. Upon arriving in Bethlehem, Ruth and Naomi had no idea what God had in store for them. But they trusted that he would be faithful to the faithful. You know, we don't always know or understand God's plans and purposes in our lives. There's times when God's hand is clear and God's hand is evident. But there are also times when it's hard to make sense of what God is doing in our life. When we say all things work together for good, understand that that does not mean that all things are good. Naomi losing her husband and her sons was not good. But as we continue to work through the book of Ruth, we will find how ultimately her loss and suffering worked out to fulfill God's purposes. Just remember, there's no accidents with God, that everything has a purpose, everything works according to plan, and that our job isn't to worry about the future or question the goodness of God, but rather to remain faithful in the now while God works out the not yet. Take refuge under his wings, knowing that all things work together 
for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Head bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you are here this morning and you say that you hear me talk about how there's a field of favor that is offered to us and forgiveness and redemption and you say, you know, I'd like to know more about that. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you would like to know more about that, I just want you just to slip your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to be a help to you if that's you this morning. Says, so, listen, I don't know Christ. I don't know about the field of favor, but I, I want to. All right, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, God. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ, Lord. I pray even as we just wrap up this worship time together that you would be glorified and honored, that your word would not return void, that we would be encouraged in knowing that you are providentially working on our behalf, that you are in control, and that for those who love God, for those who know him, all things will work out for good. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us, be in the midst of us, and help us, Lord, for the times when we do question your goodness, Lord, help us to repent of that and to turn back to you, take refuge under your wings. In Christ's name I pray, amen.